0: One-week season. NFL Edge. Audio. Browns at Texans. Kickoff Sunday, December 24th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over-under 40. Game Overview by Hilo. Browns offensive guard Joel Betonio has yet to practice this week with back and knee injuries as of Thursday, which is notable considering Betonio is one of the best pure run-blocking interior linemen in the league. Texans QB C.J. Stroud has a concussion and has yet to practice this week, signaling that he has still not progressed past the first stage of the league's five-step concussion protocol, which means he is likely still experiencing headaches as a player is not allowed to return to practice in any capacity until headaches have subsided it is highly likely that Stroud is out in Week 16. Texans wide receiver Nico Collins has a calf injury and Noah Brown has a knee injury. Each have been available for two limited sessions this week. I expect both will play against the Browns. Texans tight end Brevin Jordan and wide receiver John Mechie missed practice on Wednesday with an illness, but returned to limited sessions on Thursday. Of the games with sub-elite game totals, this one carries the highest raw ceiling and most intrigue. To me, anyway. How Cleveland will try to win. The Browns started the Joe Flacco experience with a top-five rush rate over expectation on the season, but have since allowed Flacco to just go out there and do Joe Flacco things, slowly nudging their season-long PROE values higher in the process. Three consecutive games with 44 pass attempts or more will do that, but that is exactly where the Browns currently stand as a team, and I love it, and so too should you. The fact that the Browns have allowed a league-high 30.7 points per game on the road this season helps bolster the expectation of a pass-heavy approach here, which gains even more credence through the likely absence of guard Joel Betonio, who is one of the league's top run-blocking interior offensive linemen in the game. The baseline expectation is for 30-40% to of the team's offensive snaps to come from 12 personnel, which is now paired with a tight three-man cadre wide receiver amongst Amari Cooper, Elijah Moore, and Cedric Tillman, and a loose three-way timeshare at running back. With Jerome Ford the lead back, Kareem Hunt the primary change of pace and green zone back, and Pierre Strong mixing in for the leftovers. Lead back Jerome Ford loves playing every snap on the opening drive, only to be forgotten about in the second half. Mostly kidding, but there is some shred of truth to that outlandish statement. He has played between 51 and 57 percent of the offensive snaps in the previous three games with Flacco under center, spelled primarily by Kareem Hunt in a change of pace plus green zone role with each back responsible for one touchdown in that span. Hunt was limited in both practices this week with a groin injury, but it appears as if he'll play Sunday. Even so, monitor his situation heading into the weekend. The pure rushing matchup is about as difficult as they come against the Texans defense seeding just 3.4 yards per carry, ranked second in the league, behind just 1.02 yards allowed before contact, also ranked second, to opposing backfields this season. Let's take a journey, shall we? 133 pass attempts in a three-span game for Mr. Flacco. Amari Cooper missed most of his first game under center, seeing five targets prior to departing early with an injury. Over the next two games, Amari Cooper and David Njoku combined to account for 44 targets on 89 total pass attempts from Flacco, good for a tidy 49.4% combined target market share. Furthermore, the two combined for exactly 22 targets in each of those games. To make this as blunt as possible, would you pay $11,700 for a wide receiver if you knew that wide receiver was going to see 22 targets in a game? Obviously, that is an extremely archaic way of highlighting what this combination of two pass catchers has done with Flacco under center, but I think it gets the points across tidily. Tillman has seen a combined 12 targets over the previous two games, Jerome Ford has seen 11, Moore has seen 9, no other pass catcher has seen more than 3 during that span. How Houston will try to win. The dynamic nature of offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick's offense allows him the ability to tailor his offensive game plan to the opponent while also placing his team in the best position to maximize the talent he has on the field. The talent he'll have on the field this week includes Case Keenum, Devin Singletary, Nico Collins, Noah Brown, and Dalton Schultz. The matchup involves a Browns defense that has allowed a league-worst 30.7 points per game on the road that has also faced a 47.56% rush rate against on the road. For comparison, that would rank as the fourth-highest overall rush rate against behind the Panthers, Jets, and Cardinals. Considering that setup, I would expect Slowick and the Texans to utilize a run-balanced approach after a negative 7.3% PROE value in Week 15 with Keenum under center against the pass-funnel Titans. Devin Singletary played 75% or more of the team's offensive snaps in each of the three contests Damian Pierce missed between Week 9 and Week 11. Pierce returned in Week 12 and cut into Singletary's workload and snap rate, with Singletary seeing snap rates of 46% and 57%. And then Week 15 happened, where Pierce saw just four offensive snaps. Considering Pierce has struggled to adjust to the new outside zone run blocking scheme under Slowick, it makes sense that his playing time has taken a massive hit after averaging 2.9 yards per carry this season. Singletary, a more finesse and vision running back, has proven more capable in picking up the new scheme and saw his snap rate jump back up to 75% in Week 15. I view that as by necessity as this team continues to fight for their playoff lives in the AFC, which I also view as likely to continue into Week 16. Singletary had opportunity counts of 15, 32, 24, and 31 in the four games where he saw 75% or more of the offensive snaps this season, meaning he carries one of the more robust workload expectations of running backs on the slate if we expect him to see 75% or more of the offensive snaps. The pure rushing matchup is more middling than atrocious against a Browns defense allowing 4.1 yards per carry, ranked 12th, behind 1.04 yards allowed before contact, good for third. Wide receiver Nico Collins has been in this exact situation once already this season, coming off a strained calf that kept him out of action for one game. He returned to a normal-for-him 76% snap rate and saw 11 targets against the Cardinals in Week 11. What's more, the Browns play the league's highest rate of man coverage, and Collins has been the absolute dog of this offense against man this year, responsible for a 32.1% target rate with a solid 25% TPRR. That places him an elite company against man coverage this season. Noah Brown actually ranks 2nd on the team in target rate against man, 23.4%, but carries a modest .036 fantasy points per route run against that primary coverage this year, which ranks outside the top 40 at the position, per PFF. Robert Woods should join those two as the three near-every-down-wide receivers for this offense against the Browns, but he has put up laughable marks against man this year, 11.5% target rate and 6.4% targets per route run, Tight end Dalton Schultz hasn't seen more than six targets since Week 9 and is priced up for his one eruption game this season, also in Week 9. Likeliest Game Flow I know, I know, home road splits carry a ton of noise and are silly to fully buy into, but at some point we have to acknowledge the fact that the Browns go from the best defense in the league at home, 13.1 points allowed per game, to the worst defense in the league on the road, 30.7 points allowed per game. Yes, CJ Stroud is likely to be out this week, but the Texans still have Bobby Slowick, and he is still going to scheme up an offense to put his skill position players in the best spot to succeed, case in point how he designed an offense to get Noah Brown in space last week with Stroud, Tank Dell, and Nico Collins out. When you pair the massive home road splits of the Browns' defense with the pass-heavy ways of their offense, we get all the makings of a potential scoring palooza. Now consider that each offense should be rather concentrated amongst two primary pass catchers and that both defenses rank in the top five in run DVOA and we should be giddy about attacking this spot. Commanders at Jets. Kickoff Sunday, December 24th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over-under, 37. Game Overview by Hilo. Commanders running back Brian Robinson did not practice Wednesday or Thursday with a hamstring injury which is concerning coming off a bye and missed contest. Jets QB Zach Wilson has a concussion and has yet to practice this week as of Thursday, while quarterback Aaron Rodgers is unlikely to play for the remainder of the 23 season. It appears as if quarterback Trevor Simeon is in line to start under center for the Jets. Jets wide receiver Jason Brownlee returned to a full practice Thursday after two missed games. How Washington will try to win. The biggest change to this commander's team is on the defensive side of the ball where head coach Ron Rivera is now calling defensive plays for his franchise. Washington has allowed a league-worst 30.2 points per game this season. Guess how many they've allowed since firing Del Rio? 73, or 36.5 per game. As we talked about with this team the week after Del Rio was let go, it is very difficult to immediately turn things around with only a week, or two, or five, of practice during the middle of an NFL season. What we've seen from this defense is a stark shift from above-average rates of man coverage to extreme rates of cover two, a defensive alignment designed to instill a sense of confusion for opposing quarterbacks due to its relatively static appearance before the snap. The problem is these players have had to adjust to an entirely new scheme on the fly in the middle of a grueling NFL season, which, understandably, has not gone to plan. The commanders have also now allowed a top-five running back score in five consecutive weeks, primarily induced via extreme production allowed through the air. On the other side of the ball, nothing has appreciably changed throughout the season, with an offense that ranks 3rd in PROE, 1st in pass attempts at 38.9, and 1st in pass play rate at 66.37%. Finally, the things that offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy was doing during the middle of the season, like designing an offense to get the ball out of quarterback Sam Howell's hands quickly to avoid pressure and sacks, have largely dried up in recent weeks. Lead back Brian Robinson missed Week 15 with a hamstring injury and currently projects to miss Week 16. In that Week 15 contest, Jonathan Williams came out of the woodwork to split early down work with Chris Rodriguez, with the team keeping Antonio Gibson's role relatively static. That, outside of the sneak appearance of Williams, was discussed as a viable outcome leading into the Week 15 slate, when, as you remember, Antonio Gibson was chalk. There's not much that we should expect to have changed between now and the team's Week 15 preparation leaving a likeliest scenario that mirrors what we saw last week. The Jets have faced the second-highest opponent rush rate this season due to routinely negative game environments, but have performed terribly from a per-touch standpoint, holding opponents to 4.0 yards per carry, which ranks 10th, behind a middling 1.25 yards allowed before contact, ranked 14th. And since we don't all of a sudden expect the commander's insane pass rates to dip, it doesn't leave a ton of individual upside for any member of this backfield. As we've talked about all season, an extremely unconcentrated pass offense and a demonstrated inability for Beanie to tailor his offense to the weakness of an opponent has left very few instances of GPP viability from any of the primary pass catchers in this offense. Terry McLaurin had his best statistical game of his career in Week 15, going six for 141 and one, while Curtis Samuel's two touchdown game propelled him to 21.1 DK points. The caveat there is that the Commanders managed to score three touchdowns in the final 22 minutes of play against a defense that went into a prevent shell after being blanked on the scoreboard for the first 38 minutes. It was also backup quarterback Jacoby Brissett that led two of those touchdown drives after Sam Howell was benched entering the third quarter. This appears to still be Howell's team, with Biennemi explaining the benching as a learning opportunity early in the week. Either way, Curtis Samuel now has two GPP viable scores through 14 games, Terry McLaurin has won, Jahan Dotson has won, and tight end Logan Thomas has won. In other words, out of a potential for 56 combined games between the four primary pass catchers, they have returned five GPP viable scores. That's an 8.9% hit rate, far lower than the baseline expectation of 25% based on the DK pricing algorithm's output. And now they take on a Jets defense, already holding opponents to 5.1 net yards per pass attempt, with games already played against the Dolphins twice, the Texans, Chargers before they were broken, the Bills twice, and the Cowboys, amongst others. How New York will try to win. The Jets will try to win with their defense. Let's just save 500 words and leave it at that. Kidding, but seriously. This team is a functioning disaster. Head coach Robert Sala is loyal to a fault something that could cost him his job this offseason. Instead of going out and getting an, I don't know, Joe Flacco in free agency, he sided with the loyalty factor in Zach Wilson, a little experiment that has gone about as well as a hole in the head. With Aaron Rodgers unlikely to play for the rest of the 2023 season, and with Wilson now concussed, which, quick side story, was a hilarious interaction in and of itself after everyone thought Wilson had a concussion, then Salah said he didn't, then he was entered into the concussion protocol on Sunday following their game it appears to be a Trevor Simeon week under center for the New York Football Jets. Leadback Brees Hall had eight consecutive games with more than 60% snap rates prior to last week's dismantling at the hands of the Dolphins, where rookie Israel Abanaconda saw the highest snap rate of his short career, 38%, influenced heavily by garbage time. During that time, being the eight games prior to Week 15, Hall handled 18.25 running back opportunities per game, which includes four games of eight or more targets. During that same time, primary change of pace back Delvin Cook saw more than a ridiculous four opportunities just twice. In other words, Hall has a commanding expectation as far as backfield opportunity share goes. That's important because the commanders have now allowed five consecutive lead backs to end as top 12 backs against them, including four in the top five at the position. The pure matchup on the ground is understandably a good one against a commander's defense allowing four and a half yards per carry, which ranks them 27th in the league, behind 1.32 yards allowed before contact. Check this out. Zach Wilson targeted Garrett Wilson exactly zero times in the first half before leaving with a concussion. Trevor Simeon targeted Garrett Wilson six times in his first 12 pass attempts after taking over at quarterback, two of which were negated by penalty. If nothing else, that is just plum funny. That does, however, introduce some level of intrigue for Garrett Wilson against a Washington pass defense that couldn't stop the sink from running. Add in the potential desperation factor for Sala coaching for his job, and we could see a game where Garrett Wilson is able to accrue some significant volume. Rookie undrafted wide receiver Jason Brownlee returns to the lineup after splitting snaps with Alan Lazard prior to his injury, which is likely, in my mind, to be the case again this week, considering Lazard's underwhelming performance throughout the 23 season. Fellow undrafted rookie Xavier Gibson should continue in a robust slot role while the team has utilized a primary rotation of Tyler Conklin and Jeremy Ruckert at tight end of late. In order of upside, I have these options as Wilson, Gibson, Brownlee, Conklin, Lazard, Ruckert. The bigger point of discussion here is the stark shift in defensive alignments with Ron Rivera calling plays for the commanders, shifting to an extreme rate of cover two utilization. Every primary pass catcher I just mentioned has a sub-10% target rate against Zone this season, outside of the 22.7% target rate of Garrett Wilson against that primary coverage. Randall Cobb and Malik Taylor have target rates slightly over 10%, but in extremely small sample sizes in addition to the fact that neither is a primary contributor anymore. Likeliest Game Flow Based on the tendencies of each team, this contest is likeliest to be dictated by the New York defense, a unit that has performed at elite levels against the pass and has been averaged to above average against the run, typically giving up production on the ground as a byproduct of the insane volume they have faced this season. Adding to the downside case made for this game environment is a Jets offense expected to start Trevor Simeon this week, which saps further upside from the game environment as a whole. That leaves basically one player that can ignite this game environment and turn it into something that surpasses our grounded view, Brees Hall. Hall has been classified by his own head coach as a home run hitter in that he's consistently swinging for the fences on every touch. He's the Kyle Schwarber of running backs. That has led to a borderline elite explosive rush rate, but an equally high stuffed rush rate. But this is about as good of a matchup for the home run hitter as we could ask for, leaving enough upside for Hall to ignite an otherwise underwhelming game environment. There isn't much in the way of potential desperation factor between two teams far removed from the playoff picture in their respective conferences, although there could be some level of desperation from two coaches whose seats are likely feeling a little warm. And by warm, I mean like the surface of the sun type warm. Seahawks at Titans. Kickoff Sunday, December 24th, 1 p.m. Eastern. Over under, 41 and a half. Game overview. By Pappy the Seahawks are likely to get Geno Smith back after a multi-week absence due to a groin injury. The Titans haven't been the same run defense since they lost defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons, teams have started to notice. The Titans almost always give up one big wide receiver stat line, but usually it's only one, creating an interesting choice between D.K. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Will Levis is yet to practice early in the week with an ankle injury, setting up Ryan Tannehill to start for the Titans. The Titans were notably more conservative early in the season with Tannehill under center. Derrick Henry has been in a timeshare with Tajay Spears. The workload split tends to favor Henry in games the Titans win. Henry has been particularly effective in Tennessee producing large home away splits this season. How Seattle will try to win. The 7-7 and 7 Seahawks come into Week 16 fresh off a thrilling final drive victory courtesy of Drew Locke on Monday Night Football. Locke's heroics kept the Seahawks' season alive as they currently sit in a four-way tie with the Vikings, Saints, and Rams for the final two NFC playoff spots. Seattle desperately needed a win, having lost their previous three games. Five of the Seahawks' past six opponents have been the Ravens, the 49ers twice, the Cowboys, and the Eagles. That's about as tough a stretch as possible, and the Titans should provide a much-needed reprieve from playing the best teams in the league. Pete Carroll spent most of his career calling conservative, run-oriented game plans. Ironically, after the departure of Russell Wilson, Carroll finally changed his philosophy. The Seahawks have played fast, fifth in pace, but they've been noticeably slower with Locke under center. Geno Smith is expected to return, which means there is a good chance Seattle will return to their up-tempo offense. Their offensive line has been poor, 27th ranked per PFF, especially on the right side, where right guard Anthony Bradford has been a turnstile in the past two weeks, allowing pressure on 12.7% of pass plays. The Titans' pass rush has been above average. They rank 9th in sack rate, which means Seattle might have issues keeping Geno upright. The Seahawks want to throw. They are 9th in pass rate over expectation. But the combination of their leaky pass protection and Geno coming off a lower body injury may lead them to run more than usual this week. The Titans have been solid against the run. They are 11th in DVOA and smoked through the air, 27th in DVOA. The Titans have been one of the league's premier pass funnels for the past several seasons, but that has begun to change this past month after the loss of defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons devastated their run defense. They've had the fourth worst graded run defense and surrendered the sixth highest rushing success rate since Simmons' injury. Teams have taken notice and have started to run more against the Titans. That doesn't mean the Titans' pass defense is good. They've still been hit for a big game by at least one enemy receiver practically every week but it does show that teams are reacting to how poor the Titans have been against the run without Simmons. Assuming Geno plays, the Seahawks are still likely to lean pass, but probably not with the extreme pass rates that we have seen teams go with against the Titans in the past. Expect a pass-leaning, but still balanced game plan from Seattle, with a willingness to try and run out the clock if they take the lead. How Tennessee will try to win The 5-9 Titans hobble into Week 16 as one of six teams who are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. In their last three games, the Titans beat the Dolphins by a point and lost overtime games against the Colts and Texans. Mike Vrabel plays an outdated style of offense, but because of his conservative nature, his teams often stay in games. The Titans play at a snail speed. They are 31st in overall pace, and early in the week it appears as if Ryan Tannehill will start this game. The Titans had begun to open their offense with Will Levis under center, but were more conservative when Tannehill was playing earlier in the season. Titans games have produced some of the lowest combined play counts all year, and that isn't likely to change in a game with Tannehill against a gimpy Geno. The Titans' O-line has fallen apart this year. They are 31st ranked per PFF, and just had a brutal showing against the Texans, allowing 16 pressures on 36 dropbacks. They were even worse in the run game. The Titans' running backs comically gained 67 yards after contact and only rushed for 66 yards. Think about that. Seattle's pass rush has been below average. They are 20th in sack rate, but they still hold the edge in a weakness-on-weakness matchup. The Titans want to run, 30th in PROE, and the chances of them sticking with their run-first approach is heightened by Tannehill starting behind a shaky O-line. The Seahawks have been poor against the run, 20th in DVOA, and worse against the pass, 26th in DVOA. Seattle has been worse against the pass, but the discrepancy isn't huge, and the Titans have never been ones to adjust for an opponent's weakness anyway. They are a do-what-we-do team under Vrabel, and what they do is run the football. The issue with their approach, other than being outdated by 20 years, is that it requires a strong O-line and top-flight running back. The Titans' O-line is the worst it's been in a long time, and Derrick Henry is showing signs of slowing down. The Titans' run offense has been average, 16th in DVOA, but they haven't been efficient, 22nd in yards per carry, which makes the ground game a weakness-on-weakness matchup, but one that the Titans are willing to take their chances on rather than letting Tannehill throw it. If Levis ends up returning from his ankle injury, there is a better chance that the Titans throw more. But Levis playing won't change Vrabel's philosophy, which is to win on the ground. Expect a typical, heavily run-leaning Titans game plan, with a ground-and-pound approach being a near certainty if Tannehill is the starter. Likeliest Game Flow This game has a lowish 41.5 total, which makes sense when considering the dynamics between these two teams. The Titans play a sluggish brand of football, and the Seahawks are a team that can produce explosive game environments, but only when they are pushed by their opponents. The Titans are one of the least likely teams to push the Seahawks, and even though the Titans' defense is weak on paper, they've only given up 301 points, which is more middling than bad. The Jaguars are the only team to score over 30 points against the Titans in regulation, the Colts did it in OT. The Titans' defense is vulnerable, but they rarely get smashed, which lets them continue to feed Derrick Henry three-yard carries in most games. The most likely game flow has the Titans playing their typical 1990s football, with the Seahawks being willing to throw enough to take the lead, but being happy to ride their running game late to take pressure off Geno. Expect the Seahawks to pull away slowly, winning by one score in the fourth quarter. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. Jaguars at Buccaneers. Kickoff Sunday, December 24th, 4.05 p.m. Eastern, over-under 41.5. Game Overview by Mike Johnson. Both of these teams enter Week 16 tied for the lead in their respective divisions. This is a matchup of two pass-funnel defenses who both rank in the top six in the NFL in opponent pass rate. Trevor Lawrence is battling a concussion and seems unlikely to play after missing the first two days of practice this week. Tampa Bay has a relatively concentrated offense and is likely to struggle moving the ball on the ground. The Tampa offense should be able to put up points this week, while the Jaguars' approach and efficiency will be the driving factor in whether or not we see a high-scoring affair. How Jacksonville will try to win. Things are falling apart quickly for the Jaguars, who have lost three straight games and enter Week 16 in a three-way tie for the division lead, while several key offensive players battle injuries. They have already lost Christian Kirk to a groin injury and now may be without Zay Jones and Trevor Lawrence as they head down the coast to face the Bucks. Lawrence reportedly suffered a concussion on the final drive of the Jaguars' loss to the Ravens on Sunday night and has not yet practiced this week as of Thursday. Given the way the NFL has handled head injuries since the Tua Tagovailoa drama from last season and the fact that Lawrence is the future of this Jacksonville franchise, it would seem likely that the Jaguars will be cautious with Lawrence and his to-date lack of activity indicates they are likely to be without him. Assuming Lawrence is out, the Jaguars will turn to veteran C.J. Bethard. We have seen Bethard in meaningful action only once this year, three weeks ago late in the game against the Bengals after Lawrence hurt his ankle. Jacksonville ranks 4th in pass rate over expectation and is facing a Tampa Bay defense whose opponents pass at the 5th highest rate in the league. The interesting thing about the Bucs defense, however, is that they are starting to get healthy and have several key players potentially returning this week. Also of note is the fact that Tampa Bay is ranked 30th in PFF run defense grade. Another critical factor is that the Jaguars are set to be without Kirk and Jones, which alters the status of their receiving core and could change their approach. If we assume Beathard is starting and is going to have limited weapons, we can also reasonably infer that Jacksonville may not attack Tampa Bay through the air as aggressively as many teams have in recent weeks. Considering the fact that Tampa's run defense has been decent but not elite, we could see a situation unfold where the Jaguars attempt to control the game on the ground and rely on their defense to keep them in it until the fourth quarter. Given all the circumstances the Jaguars are facing and what they have on the line, it seems likely they will turn to Travis Etienne as a focal point of the offense while banking on their 7th-ranked DVOA defense to make some plays and give them a chance. How Tampa Bay will try to win The Bucs continue to march on in their quest to win back the NFC South without Tom Brady at quarterback. The Bucs control their own destiny and a win this week would put them in prime position to surprise the doubters who wrote them off coming into 2023. Perhaps the biggest factor that most people weren't willing to consider before the year is the return to prominence of quarterback Baker Mayfield. The Bucs have turned the keys over to him, and he has been a great leader who has made the plays that he has needed to in several key spots this season and who is coming off a career-best game against the Packers. The Bucs' offensive usage is highly concentrated among three players, Mike Evans, Rashad White, and Chris Godwin. Those three have combined for 62% of Baker Mayfield's targets, and White has taken over the Bucs' backfield as one of the few backs to play over 80% of the snaps on a weekly basis. The Bucs also involve tight end Kate Otten sporadically, depending on the matchup and game flow, but for the most part, their offensive game plan centers around their big three. This week, they face a Jaguars defense that faces the sixth-highest pass rate from opponents of any team in the NFL. The Jaguars rank 6th in the NFL in run defense DVOA and have been especially solid against the run when facing teams that are not elite on the ground themselves. Jacksonville's two worst games against the run came against San Francisco's elite scheme and Baltimore, who has perhaps the most electric rushing quarterback in the league. All of those data points suggest that Tampa Bay, who ranks last in the NFL in yards per carry, is unlikely to move the ball consistently on the ground. If we expect Tampa to have to throw to move the ball, they should have the personnel to do it successfully. The Jaguars have given up big games to tight ends the last two weeks as well, so we should expect Otten to be involved along with the big three. If Lawrence is out, the Bucs may look to keep their passing game concepts to conservative ones that get the ball out quickly and avoid sacks and turnovers, but in any regard, we should expect a high volume of plays and pass attempts for the Bucs. Likeliest Game Flow The availability of Trevor Lawrence will obviously have an impact on the outlook of this game. We can see a large range of outcomes at play here, whether he plays or not. Both of these teams rank in the top six in the NFL in opponent pass rate, as their defenses have been targeted by opposing passing games consistently this season. High pass rates usually increase the total plays in a game and also provide more opportunities for big plays. Each team has explosive players in their receiving core and bell cowbacks who can break off big runs and get involved through the air. The Jaguars' defense is also capable of creating havoc and turnovers, while the introduction of Bethard to the Jaguars' offense acts as a bit of a wild card, where the Bucks will likely be aggressive towards him and could lead to explosive plays for the Jaguars or turnovers that give the Bucks short fields. Given how bad Jacksonville has been recently, holding only one opponent under 21 points since their Week 9 bye, it seems likely that the Bucks' offense is able to have at least a solid game scoring, something in the range of their implied 22-point team total. The Jaguars' leaky pass defense and potential for Jacksonville turnovers set them up for easy points, raising the Bucks' offensive floor and ceiling outcomes. The Jacksonville side is the one that will likely determine how this game plays out, however. If they are able to protect the ball and create some points by riding ETN and keeping things simple for Bethard, then this game could be a bit of a slugfest, not unlike their battle with the Ravens last week. If they fall behind by multiple scores early, however, they will likely have no choice but to open things up and hope Bethard can carry them through the air. That outcome would open the door to a Big Bucks win or a potential shootout. Cardinals at Bears, kickoff Sunday, December 24th, 4.25 p.m. Eastern, over-under, 43. Game Overview by Mike Johnson These two teams have had rough seasons but still have a lot to play for as they look to evaluate players and build momentum for 2024. Dual-threat quarterbacks on both sides of the ball should help these offenses keep the chains moving. Trey McBride has ascended to become the focal point of the Cardinals' offense. Arizona's defense has been abused many times this season, both on the ground and through the air, while the Chicago defense has been very good the last few weeks. Chicago is likely to control this game as the Bears have been a much tougher team than their current record indicates. How Arizona will try to win. Arizona was able to put up a respectable effort against the 49ers on the scoreboard last week and managed 436 total yards of offense. Arizona scored the opening touchdown of the game and kept things within eight points heading into halftime, but San Francisco was in control the whole way en route to a 45-29 victory. The Cardinals have been more consistent offensively since the return of Kyler Murray with a 2-3 record during that stretch but they have fallen into some very bad game scripts against teams who were able to expose their overmatched defense. The Cardinals seem likely to be without top wide receiver Marquise Brown after he left last week's game with a heel injury. Since the Cardinals moved Trey McBride into the starting tight end position, he is not disappointed, and he is now clearly the top option for them in the passing game. McBride has at least nine targets in four of his last five games and has 89 or more receiving yards in four of his last seven games. For comparison's sake, only one time in 14 games has a Cardinals wide receiver surpassed 89 receiving yards, Brown in Week 4. As for the running game, the Cardinals utilized three running backs last week, as they gave rookie Amari Demarcado and veteran pass catching back Michael Carter some work alongside veteran James Conner. Arizona will face a Bears defense that has been thriving recently. Weather forecasts currently predict a relatively mild day for December in Chicago with temperatures around 50 and no excessive wind or precipitation. The Bears have been especially strong against the run and rank number three in the league in both run defense DVOA and yards allowed per carry. While Arizona ranks 31st in the NFL in PROE, it is likely that they will have no choice but to raise their pass rate and or use Kyler Murray's legs in this matchup if they want to move the football. Arizona ranks ninth in rushing offense DVOA, but 29th in PFF run blocking grade. Their poor run blocking is unlikely to open big holes against a stout run defense, leaving the Cardinals to lean on Murray and McBride to create offense and sustain drives. The absence of Brown in the receiving core also places some limits on what they can expect from their perimeter players in this matchup, which once again should force Murray and McBride to be focal points of the Cardinals' attack. How Chicago Will Try to Win The Bears have lost three games this season in which they led by two scores late in the game. Had they held on in those spots, they would have an 8-6 record and currently would be the number 6 seed in the NFC. Last week was the most recent instance of a late-game meltdown as the Browns mounted a huge fourth-quarter comeback and the Bears imploded. While those losses have been tough for Bears fans to swallow and the narrative around the team has been mostly negative for quite some time now, the reality is that Chicago has been a very competitive team for most of the season and especially after its ugly start to the season. Since the Week 3 blowout loss to the Chiefs, Chicago has played 7 games with Justin Fields at quarterback. In those games, they have a 3 and 4 record and the 4 losses have all been by 6 or fewer points. Chicago's defense has also turned up the heat down the stretch, holding four of its last 5 opponents to 20 points or less. This week Chicago faces a Cardinals defense that has been abused in recent weeks and ranks in the bottom 3 in the NFL against both the run and the pass by DVOA metrics. The film seems to match up with the numbers, as Arizona ranks dead last in the NFL in PFF run defense grade and 28th in PFF pass rush grade and coverage grade. The Bears rank 29th in the NFL in pass rate over expectation, and the Cardinals face the third lowest opponent pass rate in the league. The Bears have three capable running backs and a solid running game, along with a quarterback who can be utilized on designed runs and scrambles. They have also started using star wide receiver DJ Moore in the running game more often and his skill set and presence gives them another viable path to exploit this glaring weakness of the Cardinals. It doesn't take a lot more digging to figure out that Chicago is likely to lean heavily on its running game in this spot, with five players to rotate carries around. Chicago's defense has been very strong recently, and the Bears are likely to lean on the unit to keep the Arizona offense in check in this December game in Chicago. Arizona plays primarily soft zone coverage shells. And has surrendered a first down or a touchdown on 42.7% of its zone coverage snaps. The Bears should be able to move the ball successfully on the ground to set up manageable third down situations and are likely to have success extending drives either on passes against the weak coverage of the Cardinals or by fields making plays with his legs. Likeliest Game Flow The Bears are likely to control this game as they should be able to move the ball and score points on the putrid Cardinals defense. While keying on Murray and McBride early in the game to keep Arizona's offense from sustaining drives consistently. Last week, the Cardinals were able to move the ball well against San Francisco, in large part due to some defensive injuries and how their strengths matched up against them. The 49ers were weaker against the run and have a talented physical secondary. Arizona was able to gain over 200 rushing yards in that matchup, and the talent of San Francisco's secondary was largely irrelevant because Arizona was not very interested in involving their receivers anyway. This week will be much different, as the Bears' run defense should make life tough for Arizona, and the Cardinals don't have the firepower on the perimeter to attack the Bears in the most logical spot. Chicago's ability to turn drives into touchdowns will be critical to the overall game flow here. We should expect the Bears to have early offensive success and push the ball into Arizona territory. If Chicago can execute and build an early lead, they could run away with this one. The Bears are likely to run a lot of plays, and they play at a methodical pace which should keep the clock moving and limit first-half possessions. Arizona has given up some explosive plays this year, however, and Moore or Fields could break a long one at any point. Chicago is a far more formidable team at this point in the season than its record indicates, and the likely difficulty for Arizona in moving the ball and sustaining drives should allow the Bears to build a comfortable lead. Murray's dynamic ability with the ball in his hands and McBride's dominant play of late do give Arizona a chance to keep things close and pull off a late comeback win if the Bears don't build enough of a lead to put things out of reach. Cowboys at Dolphins. Kickoff Sunday, December 24th, 4.25 p.m. Eastern, over under 50. Game Overview by Mike Johnson. This is a matchup of the two highest scoring offenses in the NFL. Dallas operates at a quick pace and throws the ball at an extremely high rate, while Miami operates at a slower pace and runs the ball more often and efficiently. The ability of the Dallas defense to generate pressure will be critical to this game, as Tua Tagovailoa is extremely pressure sensitive in his efficiency. The Dolphins are likely to use their elite rushing scheme to attack a Cowboys defense that was torched on the ground by Buffalo last week. Miami's defense has performed very well recently, but has struggled against the few high-level offenses they have faced this season. How Dallas Will Try to Win The Cowboys were brought back down to earth a bit in their Week 15 loss to the Bills, as Buffalo was able to dominate them in the trenches on both sides of the ball. The Bills were able to sack Dak Prescott three times and hit him seven others, as Dak was held to his worst game of the season and only the second time since the Cowboys' Week 7 bye that he failed to reach 200 passing yards. Dallas ran the ball efficiently, averaging 4.5 yards per carry, but was unable to stick with the run as they fell behind early and were pummeled by the Buffalo rushing attack. This marked the fourth loss of the season for the Cowboys, and the third which came at the hands of a fellow powerhouse among the current NFL landscape. This week, Dallas will be tested once again as they travel to face a Dolphins team that has been dynamic and explosive offensively all year and is the only team in the NFL averaging more points than the Cowboys. Looking at the track record of the Dolphins' defense, however, you can see that their recent string of performances can be largely attributed to their poor schedule of opponents. Since their Week 10 bye, they have faced the Jets twice, the Commanders, Titans, and Raiders. Those teams all ranked 22nd or worse in offensive DVOA for the season, while the Cowboys ranked 9th overall and have been one of the top units in the league since moving to a more pass-centric game plan after their bye week. Miami has faced three offenses this season that ranked top 10 in offensive DVOA, Buffalo, Kansas City, and Philadelphia. Those teams combined to average 33 points per game against them, and two of the three, Buffalo and Philadelphia, had wildly efficient passing games. Miami was also exposed on Monday night in Week 14 by rookie quarterback Will Levis and the Titans as they coughed up a two-score fourth-quarter lead. Looking at how Dallas will approach this game, we should expect them to have an aggressive mindset from the start of this game and feel the need to be efficient and explosive when they have the ball. Dallas ranks 6th in the NFL in pass rate over expectation for the season and should have the tools to move the ball against this Miami offense that has struggled against formidable opponents. Miami has the league's 4th lowest blitz rate, which should give Dak Prescott a lot more time to throw than he had in Buffalo. A key part of that will be the health of the Cowboys offensive line and we will want to monitor the statuses of tackle Tyrone Smith and guard Zach Martin, who both missed practice on Wednesday. In any regard, the Cowboys should be very pass-heavy and are also likely to try to involve Tony Pollard more in space, as they did two weeks ago against the Eagles. If their offensive line is less than full strength, we may see their passing game concepts focus more on the short areas of the field to get the ball out of Prescott's hands quickly, but the Bills, Raiders, Titans, and Eagles have all had success downfield against Miami, and Dallas will certainly take some shots as well. An underrated aspect of the Dallas approach is likely to be how bad their run defense was exposed last week and how critical that makes it for them to score points early so Miami can't just pound them on the ground like Buffalo did. Early possessions for Dallas will be critical, and they will need to not just move the ball, but also turn those drives into touchdowns to control this game. How Miami will try to win. The Dolphins bounced back from a tough loss to the Titans in Week 14 by ganging up on the Zach Wilson-led Jets last Sunday. They were able to coast to a 30-0 win over New York without the services of all-worldwide receiver Tyreek Hill, who sat out to rest an ankle injury suffered against Tennessee. In his absence, Jalen Waddell ascended to the alpha of the passing game and made several big catches, including a 60-yard touchdown that more or less put the game out of reach in the second quarter. Miami's rushing attack didn't do much, but it really didn't have to as the Dolphins were content playing conservatively and waiting for the Jets' offense to hand them short fields. This week against Dallas, the Dolphins have a dream matchup as their elite running scheme faces a defense that was absolutely destroyed on the ground by Buffalo in Week 15. The Dallas defense has dominated lesser opponents this season, but make no mistake that they are built to play with a lead and pin their ears back with their pass rush and opportunistic secondary feasting when opponents are made one-dimensional. The Miami offense is so explosive and stretches the field both horizontally and vertically, which is sure to stress Dallas and open up wide running lanes for Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan there doesn't seem to be a great alternative for Dallas to deal with this either, as trying to load the box to deal with the run would open them up on the backside to the elite speed of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Miami operates at a methodical pace and does not throw the ball at an overwhelming rate, but they create explosive plays on the ground and through the air and are likely to create chunk plays from the outset against this Dallas defense. The Dallas defense plays the third highest rate of man coverage in the league and has been successful at it for much of this season, but will be playing with fire against Tyreek and Waddle. When the Dolphins do throw the ball, a critical component will be how much pressure the Cowboys are able to get on Tua Tagovailoa, who has been one of the most pressure-sensitive QBs in the league this year. All of these things will likely tie together, as a strong performance from the Dolphins' running game will make it harder for Dallas to generate pressure against the pass. Miami head coach Mike McDaniel has an aggressive mindset and looks to accumulate points early and often. We should expect him to be especially aggressive in this matchup, as the Dolphins attempt to get their first win of the season over a top-tier opponent. Likeliest Game Flow Both teams are likely to be aggressive and pursue explosive plays early in this game. The success of both offenses is also likely to depend heavily on their ability to be multi-dimensional and their ability to give their quarterbacks time to throw. Due to the mismatch of the Dolphins' running game against the Dallas defense, and the respect Dallas has to give to the Miami wide receivers, it is highly likely that the Dolphins have early offensive success and get an early lead. Dallas may have some success early as well, but it would be pretty surprising if Miami isn't able to move the ball well in their first couple of drives. With that in mind, the likeliest game flow would be Miami scoring early to push Dallas into an aggressive approach as they try to keep the pressure on the Dolphins. The last thing Dallas can afford is a situation where Miami can just run the ball down their throats all game and take calculated shots downfield whenever they feel like it. We should expect the Dallas passing game to have success, keeping pace with Miami, as we have yet to see the Dolphins' pass defense shut down a high level opponent, and they've struggled with a couple of mediocre passing offenses, Las Vegas and Tennessee, in recent weeks. Such a scenario likely means the highest scoring game of the Week 16 slate, with both teams scoring on a high percentage of their possessions. While Miami may run the ball at a high rate, they are likely to generate explosive plays and big chunks of yards while running the ball, so it's not like they're going to just grind the clock. Miami should have a good deal of offensive success with the sources of that success coming from all aspects of their elite scheme and personnel, i.e. on the ground and through the air. Dallas, on the other hand, is likely to be pushed to an extreme pass rate as they desperately try to keep pace with the offensive juggernaut on the other side of the field.